This podcast is from the RAND Corporation, a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. Visit www.rand.org to learn more about us and to explore RAND's free online library of more than 20,000 policy reports and commentaries. Hello and welcome. I'm Priscilla Hunt, an economist studying crime at the RAND Corporation. I'm here to recap some key takeaways from the Career Prospects for People with Criminal Records Symposium held at RAND in October 2019. Dion Barnes-Proby and I hosted the symposium, and you'll hear more from Dion later in this podcast series. For the symposium, we gathered academics and practitioners in Washington, D.C. to try to answer the question, what can researchers, policymakers, and practitioners do to improve outcomes for people with criminal records? My guest today is Sean Bushway, a senior policy researcher here at RAN. Sean was the opening plenary speaker at the symposium, and he's been writing about labor market issues for people with criminal records for over 20 years. Sean literally wrote the book on barriers to reentry titled barriers to reentry, the labor market for released prisoners in post-industrial America. Sean, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. So, Sean, you've done a lot of research about how people can get to a place where they're no longer reoffending at high rates and would be considered a productive worker. But what I have wondered about is this. What if an HR professional or hiring manager is considering hiring someone, but they've done the background check and they see a criminal record? You know, they haven't read through all the evidence on reoffending, so they're worried about what this means. Can you walk us through what the evidence says about reoffending and what it means for employers? Sure. I think the first thing that people have to realize is that having a criminal history record is actually a pretty common experience. Um, I did some research that did a national representative survey and found that uh, about 30% of all Americans will have at least one arrest by the time they're 25. Um, we did some additional estimation and found that about uh, 20% will have at least one conviction. And other folks have done estimates to say that uh, by the time uh, the Amer- average American man gets to be 50, there's a 50% chance they'll have at least one arrest. So this is not an uncommon phenomenon or an uncommon uh, uh, event. And so I think we first need to treat it like that. If we realize that you know, lots of people have records and we don't consider all of them to be criminal or extremely dangerous, we're going to have to figure out a way to differentiate between people uh, with records. So that becomes the task is how do we differentiate between people with records? And the, the first thing to point out is that the most relevant feature here is how recently uh, someone had this event happen. If they haven't had an an arrest or a conviction, in this case, most of the employment considerations should be only about convictions for 10 or 15 or 20 years, then the the obvious answer is they're not a serious offender and they've exited uh, offending. And that's not surprising because most offending happens when people are younger. Um, so, you know, if, if you don't see an offense for many years and they've been a free and in the community for many years, then they're pretty good bet that that person's not very risky and in fact may well be less risky than, say, a 22-year-old without a record who just hasn't been caught yet. But absent waiting for a long period of time, now, we, now we're going to start talking about the harder ones, which is people who relatively recently had a conviction or arrest. And how do we start differentiating between those folks? Because while it's, it is true that you know, if we wait 10 or 15 years, we're pretty sure that they've stopped and aren't a serious offender, well, that's a long time to, to deny someone a job or, for an employer's perspective, not have someone work for them um, when we just already acknowledge that lots of people have records. And 
you know, knocking out 20 to 25 percent of your workforce just to start with uh, because they might have a, a problem is not a very healthy way to hire people, particularly in a tight labor market like this. So the real question becomes, how can I differentiate between people who have relatively recent records? Does that make sense, Priscilla? Perfect sense. So I'm thinking, look, I've, I'm, I'm an employer, um, done some interviews, now I'm to the background check, and I see there's an offense, and it was relatively recently. By recent, we're talking last couple years, last year? Yeah, for the sake of this discussion, let's say the last five years. Okay. Um, so the question is, how do you differentiate? And, and so the way that, that, that we typically think about this is think about risk. Um, and, and the risk is going to be de- determined by whether these people are high rate offenders, like are they relatively frequent offenders when they were actively involved in the criminal justice system, or were they relatively not frequent, low rate offenders? Maybe this is their only offense. So the, the single biggest predictor of whether or not someone's a a serious risk is how old they are and how many crimes they've committed in the past. So what we're looking for here is we're a little bit about what type of crime, but type of crime doesn't really predict sort of subsequent offending very well. So we're primarily focused on young people who have offended a lot in the past. And if in fact you see that and you you know see that someone's committed five offenses in, in the last five years, then that's person is definitely riskier than someone's only committed one offense in the last year, five years, or during the five years that they are active. So we would just differentiate people by the number of years uh, that they were active and how many crimes they committed during that time period. And that's an easy way to sort people. And in fact, that's what most risk assessment tools, both in criminal justice and employment contexts, do. And, and this is sort of based on the idea that sort of high-rate guys are always going to be higher rate than low rate people. And high rate people are going to continue to offend for a longer period of time. So essentially, imagine that what we have are two people getting shot out of a cannon, some one one faster than the other, uh, that person's going to fly higher, uh, and therefore last longer in the air. And so if I know how fast they're going, i.e. how how many crimes they committed in the last five years or so, then I, I know a bunch about them. Um, and if they've only committed one crime ever, then they're probably a low-rate guy and aren't very much risk, even if that crime was a year ago. But if they've committed five or six or seven, particularly if they're relatively young, then that's a real problem. That's not a, a bad way to think about it, um, and that's typically how people approach it. But recent evidence suggests that there's a slight wrinkle to this, which is that even high-rate people stop. So simply treating all high-rate people as if they're going to offend forever or for a very long time is incorrect. And so what we've started suggesting is that we may actually learn about people, particularly important things about people, as they spend more time in the community without another crime. So suppose someone had five crimes in five years. But the last time they were offended was five years ago. So they've been out free in the community. They haven't had another crime. They've never been convicted or arrested for another crime for five years. Well, that person probably isn't a high-rate person because if they were, they would have failed again. But they didn't. So saying that they need 10 or 15 years to be because we think they're going to – they're a high-rate person and they're going to offend for a long time doesn't make a lot of sense because if they were going to offend, they would have offended already. There's a counterintuitive thing that we've suggested might need to be added in here, which is that if you think someone's a high-rate person and they haven't offended for three, four, 
years, then there's some evidence here that they've changed and it's worth looking into. You might want to look to see whether they've got a job and what they're, uh, w- whether they've gone through programming or whether they've done meaningful things that have changed their lives. Because what it suggests from a desistance perspective is that people actually uh, can change their identity. They're no longer someone whose chief identity is someone who's a criminal offender. And they, they've started to do more pro-social things and change the way they look at the world. And they may well be very good employees. You know, one of the things I'm thinking about is during the symposium, you had mentioned that, um, you know, not getting a job or getting fired um, because, let's say, the employer learns about a criminal record could actually lead to that person going back to prison. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Sure. So in the scenario I just described, right, you have someone who was embedded in crime or criminal activity. They weren't just a – this wasn't just an accident. They were, in fact, um, actively criminal. And they they start uh, moving along a different path. Now, not because you gave them a job, but because something else happened, they decided to be different and they started acting in that different manner, right? How how do you not be a criminal? How how do you act differently? Well, one of the things you need is a job. Well – Suppose that person does, in fact, start to make steps, start to take process, and gets a job. Not a great job, probably, but, but, a, uh, but a job. And the employer says, yes, I want to hire you. But I got one more thing I got to do, background check. It'll take a couple months. I'll let you know in two months. But in the meantime, you can work over here, and it'll be fine. So you work over here for two months. You're doing fine. You like your job. You're still working. Two months later, the guy comes in and says, oh, we looked at your background check. We have to fire you. Now, I find that problematic in the first perspective is why the two-month of good employment doesn't tell you something about the person, I don't know. But that can be very traumatic for uh, an, an individual. And I did research in New York around people that worked in nursing homes to find that when uh, those folks who were, in fact, hired – um, who were then subsequently fired or not able to work because of their background, they, in fact, uh, had a, a significant and substantial increase in offending after that event. Now, that doesn't mean that you, you can solve all of the world's problems in terms of recidivism or offending by giving everyone a job. But for some people, the job is going to be a very meaningful part of how they are exiting offending. And so you want to be very careful about that. And so... I think you're not going to be able to tell the whole story from the offending record, but you might be able to see, hey, look, there's some chance this guy has changed, and then look for other evidence. And so I think from a background check perspective, what we really need is to stop considering the criminal history record as the only relevant piece of information and try to put it into a context such that particularly for people that were high rate and look like they've changed or for people that only offended once – and you can tell a reasonable story that it's an aberration, that these people be given another chance. And and the only way you're really going to get there is not by looking only at the criminal history record, by by allowing them to present other information about how they've spent their time, what kinds of activities they have. And I think that's important because I think the evidence is overwhelming that there are people that move from very serious paths of offending to desistance. In fact, the person who renovated my house – um, had a very serious pa- past history and then sometime in his 30s stopped and then built a very successful con- contracting company. He did a great job. He was a great uh, contractor. And so, you know, that change can happen and we want to be careful that we don't, A, make everyone wait 15 years or 10 years before we give them a chance and B, that we deny people 
uh, who are in fact engaged in this process of assistance an opportunity to, to continue on that path because work and other activities are going to be an important part of what it means to be a member of our society. So, so I see what you're saying. You know, when you mentioned the example of somebody who had been working for a couple months and the employer um, saw the criminal record on the background check, you know, one explanation I would have is that the firm worried something uh, would happen and they would be sued uh, because they didn't take sort of the proper precautions. Um, you know, what role do you think there is for policy? Uh, you know, sort of protecting employers or encouraging employers to continue hiring people with a criminal record uh, and taking that risk? Well, I think that employers and others have to be empowered to not consider criminal history record by itself as this only piece of information that's relevant, particularly as people start to move away from the event. The fact that someone hasn't offended for a number of years is relevant. And particularly if they've been working during that period of time, that's very relevant. Um, because it's hard to hold a job, and many people who come out of prison, for example, can't hold a job, don't hold a job um, for a variety of reasons, mental health problems, substance abuse, etc. And so if you see someone who has that type of history who is in fact holding a job and maintaining a job, that should tell you something is different. Um, and I think that acting like change can't happen and that, that someone you know once on a trajectory of high level always on a level of trajectory is problematic and so people have to be empowered to uh consider additional information and one of the reasons why they don't is because we in the society continue to think that criminal record is all knowing you know and again as i pointed out lots of people have records and if we treated all of them as if they're problematic we're going to have a problem but the way that formally happens is is with negligent hiring lawsuits where someone who may have committed a crime in the past will commit another crime and the immediate uh, on the job and the immediate conclusion is you should have known well crimes are not totally predictable. And there's lots of people who have records that don't commit another crime. And so finding a balance between protecting people on the job and employees and clients, um, but also giving people a chance, um, particularly people that are, are making a serious effort to move in the right direction, is, is an important challenge. And I think there is a way to balance that. And one option is if people consider relevant factors and make an intelligent decision on the basis of the information, they can be given indemnification. Employers could be given indemnified, could be indemnified, which just means they can't be sued for negligent hiring. In other words, if you go through a, a formal process, you make a good decision. If that person does in fact commit a crime on the job, uh, you're not held liable for it because you, you know you're not supposed to be able to predict the future perfectly, and you can't predict the future perfectly. And I think those kinds of laws that provide guidance and give people protection when they do make a decision, when they do give a person a chance in a reasonable way, make a lot of sense to me. More generally, I think we need to start to find some way to make criminal history records just one of the pieces of information we're considering instead of the only piece of information that we're considering, particularly as we move away from the event and we start to try to look for evidence that the person has in fact changed. Uh, because people do change, and that's an important feature to remember. On that note, I want to thank you for taking your time to chat with me today, Sean. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, look for the next three episodes in this symposium series in the Events at RAND podcast feed. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. To learn more about RAND's research on jobs and criminal records, visit www.rand.org slash criminal records.